Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Sarah's Space. I am flying solo today, and in these wintry, chilly, sometimes emotionally full, uh, hopefully on the positive side months, but not always, I become reflective about a lot of things that I think make the world a better place as opposed to what quite often we have far too much access to in the news and the media and in day-to-day -day encounters. And I wanted to focus on that today and in a dance-related way, I wanted to focus on our rights to dance or our right to dance. And I feel as though I'm gonna, I'm going to really come about it from a humanistic perspective. So a lot of opinion, my own personal opinion, but then also from an experiential opinion of a, of a longtime educator in the dance field and professional dancer and choreographer, etc. So how I wanted to begin this conversation was to talk about the fact that I think most human beings have dance in their body, in their soul, in their spirit when they are born and each one responds to music in a different way. Some people are some babies, some wee little ones right away begin moving and showing interest or uh, not necessarily movement but their head will per will swivel and, and their eyes will perk up when they hear music or a particular rhythm or a beat and you can tell right away that that engages them in a fashion that is sort of instinctive and and you couldn't have taught it or otherwise. I think that some of us immediately want to express how we feel in movement, uh, sometimes along with words and some completely without words. Sometimes movement comes so much more readily than words do and there's no right nor wrong. Uh, there are of course a thousand different different pathways and methods of of reaching, I guess, dance expression at its fullest. But I think that where I see dance as a human right is, is that I, I feel that with training and, and expertise and the focus on achieving certain goals and certain excellence, I feel feel as though there's this instant kind of elitism that crops up and uh, separation and segregation between dance forms and and genres uh, of performance and training and training institutions and although I guess to some degree I find it inevitable um, being that humans are very success oriented and very goal oriented and I'm, I'm not going to bemoan that particular fact. So that's a whole a psychological, <laughs> I guess, and philosophical argument that could go on forever. I do feel as though our role as dance educators is not to discourage a child's or a teen's or an adult's desire to dance, but it's to help direct and focus that desire. With our education, we do have a very deep awareness and those of us that have had the opportunity of, of also performing professionally for a short or a long t period of time are well aware of the vagaries of the professional dance world, of the things that we 
I, I won't say, well, I will. I suffered under the things that we worked within, the paradigm that we struggled against. And we, we do have a desire to pass that on to our students in a, in a fashion that I guess sort of forewarns and, and prepares them. But I don't think it's our role to tell certain students that they will not be able to succeed in the dance world because of, and then fill in the blank. I don't think it's our role to push them in a certain direction in the dance world, fill in the blank. I do feel as though, given all the tools at our disposal, we can direct their focus in at least one or two or three possibly possible directions that we know will give them advantages in their future, whether they stay focused on the dance world or they go out into the world at large. And I feel that we can do that in, a, in an encouraging fashion that isn't unrealistic. And it's not, uh, shall we say, giving them pipe dreams or building them up to be disappointed or dis devastated. I feel as though, I, I mean, I guess I feel this very strongly as a parent as well. I think honesty is imperative and I think sharing honest experience is imperative. But then I think it's also really important to remember that we had that experience and we are now able to reflect upon it honestly. If you never get to have the experience, you just told about what the experience is going to be, but on, under the auspices of somebody else, then you're left wanting. And in some cases, I think you're left hurting and, and bitter and bereft, or in some cases you just rebel and sort of disregard any direction whatsoever and then possibly go in a direction that is totally going to lead to a sense of failure or lack of success or disappointment. So, yeah, I, I do feel pretty strongly about it. It's not just uh, on the heels of you getting a chance to listen to my wonderful mom and her perspective and, and understand maybe a little bit more close at hand the support that I grew up with, both in my ballet teacher and my parents, but also to understand that I knew pretty young, without needing to be told in an unkind way, that my body type was not going to suit what my big dreams aspired to be, which was a ballerina. I wanted to be Giselle. For some reason, that role held a great deal of, of delight and mystery for me. And Juliet from Romeo and Juliet and uh, Kitri from Don Quixote. These were ones that stood out for me as a young teen. And it, it didn't take very much looking around to realize that I was built differently than the other young women, many of whom I danced with close at hand. And that although I wasn't made to feel in, in my closest circle, I, in many extended circles, yes, I was made to feel like an oddity or perhaps a usurper or, or someone who should just get the hell out. <laughs> but in my close circle, I wasn't made to feel that way. I was just made to feel as though, um, well, you need to work on this. And, you know, given, given sort of immediate direction that I could focus on. And what that allowed me to do was to have the freedom to look in the mirror and the freedom to look at other dancers and compare simple things such as foot size. My feet are enormous. And so when I'm on point, I'm really tall. 
Do I love that? Absolutely. Does that make it even harder to partner me? Absolutely. Does it make it harder to partner me because I'm also very large boned and largely muscular? Yes, absolutely. So once I started looking around and realizing that at that time period, which would have been uh, the late 80s, early 90s, when I was coming of age to the time to go out into the professional world, there weren't a lot of other bodies out there dancing in North America that looked like mine. Uh, no, sorry, not in the classical ballet world. Tons of them dancing in other genres. And I guess that, I guess that that knowledge hurt. Yeah, yeah, it did hurt. But it didn't hurt my spirit for wanting to dance. And it didn't hurt my spirit for forging ahead and finding the way I could find that way of expressing dance through my body and through my spirit. And it also didn't discourage my involvement with the dance world, which was already extensive. And although my professional career path was pretty unorthodox and unlike many as I mean, really each of us is an individual. So our paths are unlike many because we are singular. Um, I feel as though I was able to satisfy a huge aspect of myself that I set out to satisfy. And along the way, I garnered so much experience and so much knowledge and so much desire to pass on and educate and maybe change a lot of the ways that I saw things being done. Well, I won't say maybe. I really wanted to change a lot of the ways I saw things being done. I really felt that there were much better ways of imparting upon young people successful paths that they could follow that didn't require breaking them down and building them up, that old adage, or tough love, that old adage, or gross sort of rude honesty that says, you know, you don't look like everyone else, so what are you going to do about You know, I, I would say that it takes an unusual person to not be aware of of how they are in their milieu. They can look around and, and pretty quickly look at their uniqueness. And I actually encourage that amongst my students and not in a derogatory way or negative in any any light. I encourage us to sit sometimes and, and look at the different size of our heads, to look at the different length of our arms, to understand the different uh, ways the hips are set, to understand the different ways our gait naturally takes our body. I think that the more we are, are well acquainted with our instrument and our our wonderful vessel of expression, the more we have confidence in expressing ourselves. And you know, it doesn't necessarily come through dance. It might come through in a way that there's more confidence in realizing, oh man, doing this dance training my entire teen years and my my tough prepubescence and pubescence and and maybe even my early 20s, this gave me the fire and the drive and the understanding of myself to such a degree that I'm now going to go pursue some other field and I'm going to have incredible success at it. And I'm going to be fulfilled and be giving back to the world in a way that I want to. And and I think that, that that's something that I really, I try in a I guess in a really gentle manner to always say to my students without ever saying, you know, you better have a backup plan or you better consider something else because this isn't going to be for you. 
allowing them to understand that, you know, you might find even halfway through your teen years that your early dreams, they, they're not going to have an exact, they're not going to pan out exactly the way you, you foresaw them. And maybe you don't even want them to any longer. Maybe you recognize something as simple as a dance and and it's very, well, I mean, as a performer, it can be really lonely because you are separate of the audience that you're trying so hard to speak to and express to. You then go backstage to your dressing room and, and you're in a quiet, silent place. And you then go home to your nightly routine of, of decompressing and, and self-care and, and sleep to start the whole routine all over again. That's not to say lonely in a sad way, but it's not it's not it's not a terribly social endeavor. You know, there's so much time spent pursuing that excellence and working on yourself and and absolutely cultivating relationships with those around you, but you don't have a lot of time to then further those relationships unless they happen to be, you know, intimately in, uh, um, intertwined in the in the daily life that you're pursuing. So sometimes young dancers-to-be come to their own realization that, yeah, that, I don't know if that really appeals to me, but I, I, I love dance, or I don't know if that really appeals to me, but I really would love to teach young children. I love their shining faces. I love watching them understand something. Or maybe I want nothing to do with dance in a post-graduation way, but I am so grateful that I, I got to a place of comfort with my body. I got to a place of confidence with the way I can train it to move in this specific manner. And I'm now much more aware of myself as I go out into the world pursuing something entirely different. So I do, I do feel very strongly about not discouraging. And I feel as though many... Um, dance educators, directors, adjudicators, uh, role models of some sort, they don't necessarily feel they are discouraging. They feel as though they are pushing in the right direction. But I'm going to then again caution that my personal perspective on that is, who are we to say what the right direction is except for ourselves? And even then we screw up. So turning around and saying that we know exactly what, you know, this particular student or that particular student needs or, and, and oftentimes just based on perhaps their classroom ability or perhaps their physique. Um, and then sometimes we direct it on our children when my understanding is, is that, of course, we do ostensibly know our children intimately, but they're, they're very existence on the planet is to become not an extension of ourselves, but a wonderful human being fully fledged out in their own way that has a wonderful influence from ourselves and a wonderful a piece of ourselves in them. And so, yeah, I, that discouragement piece of uh, training, I'm, I'm not, I'm not at all interested in. And I feel that they're also is this other component that I'm experiencing as a mom of a dancer, a very young dancer, that the whole worry about the exact recipe, 
that's needed to have our our daughters or our sons achieve success in the dance world the the perfect studio the perfect amalgamation of of training and and genre and hours put in and i feel that sometimes in our eagerness to fulfill what we feel is not only our obligation but our desire to have our child find success and and satisfaction we get a little far away from what's really going on and that's that we're chasing basically some sort of perfect business model and i have to say having been involved with studios throughout well actually now throughout uh, north america i don't see a perfect business model i see a lot of very successful businesses i see a lot of very wonderful teachers i see a lot of uh, amazing um inspiration um a lot of amazing intention coming from the staff and the directors i see a lot of very good business models i see a lot of wonderful menus to train from but as far as perfection no i don't see that simply because no two children are exactly alike so saying that this particular age group should have blah 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 to be a success in the dance world i think is an unfair statement and i also think that sometimes a little more listening and sometimes we can't listen with our ears because our children aren't necessarily articulating in a clear manner because they may not know how to or they may be fearful of disappointing us but sometimes we have to listen with other parts of ourselves and and look closely and realize our child is shining in fill in the blank <laughs> whatever genre that might be and and they may even say things such as that's so hard for me but i love it and we watch them glow and they may not be achieving the same success in that genre as they are in other dance genres or maybe in school or maybe in sports and speaking from experience i can say that i 100% was one of those children i didn't i never achieved the same amount of success in the ballet field that i did in academics and even in soccer a easy success with immediate results no not at all did i achieve this deep uh you know inescapable and still 100% abiding with me sense of fulfillment and and passion absolutely and that's what my parents my parents really listened to that and they listened with both their ears excuse me and and their hearts and found that as long as they had the confidence that i was going to be able to uh self sustain be self sufficient in the world as a young adult they were going to support me and i feel that we we really do our our children a great disservice if we don't approach a similar model and i feel as though along the lines of so many other parent models that are out and have been out for the last 10 to 15 years as us new parents are trying so hard to provide more provide more opportunity provide more of everything for our children sometimes there's so much provision that there's not enough simplicity and in that simplicity sometimes in that silence is everything that needs to be provided 
and I see a lot of young children doing so much. And as cynical as it sounds, and I, I apologize ahead of time, I know that in 15 years, I will not see at least 50% of them still dancing. Maybe in 10 years. Just because that pattern is now at almost 40 years of watching it is really, it's very clear. You know, it, it has to speak to us in a certain way, and it doesn't matter how many hours we're putting in at the age of 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Um, if it's not something that our inner hearts want to pursue, we're just putting in time. And yes, we're it's well accounted for, and, and it if given with love and and good intentions from our teachers, it will carry us forward, absolutely. It may also just exhaust the dickens out of us in the moment and not give us enough time to just have that simple playtime to sort of figure ourselves out. And I feel that although I understand dance schools are businesses as well, and there's a desire to uh, fulfill as many perceived societal requirements and competition as possible, I feel like they're kind of many of them are feeding that beast because they're just providing more and more and more um, intense programs with more uh, opportunity to compete and more opportunity to travel as you compete and and it's starting younger and younger and now let's get children on point way before their growth plates are fully formed and I feel like we're going backwards we're not going forwards with that and again I'm not a studio owner so I'm not in that position where I'm trying to survive in a business, but I, I feel that if I were a studio owner, and I know I know many studio owners that do carry this strong intention in their hearts, I wouldn't want the legacy of my provision of my studio and my teachers and myself to be burnout or hurt or injury permanent or chronic. I would want the legacy to be something that that young person could take out into the world and fulfill themselves further with. And it's also at this point really important to remember that due to physical requirements, due to the aesthetic in built in to old dance forms such as classical ballet, there is a certain amount of physical, I guess, prerequisites that dance teachers and directors are looking for their students to fulfill before they push them or encourage them in that direction. And I don't feel that that is wrong of them on any level. I would think that that would be wrong if they didn't also provide simultaneously a track or an avenue that a young dancer with drive and passion and and desire wasn't able to pursue classical ballet with the intention of just getting the best possible training without necessarily thinking that they were going to end up at the National Ballet of Canada. And that particular avenue or pathway might mean that they're not uh, thrown into the same competition circuit as the other dancers that are more of the thoroughbred variety that's that have the designs of being in those large classical ballet companies whose aesthetic is so clearly mapped out. And I feel that 
as much as I am the last person on earth to lecture one against pursuing dance due to physical um, uh, attributes, because I like thinking of them in the positive vein, I think that it's also important to remember that there are parts of us that will just simply be hurt or pushed to the point of breaking if they don't naturally already exist in our bodies. And there are aspects to classical ballet, for instance, that are so unique to that that brand of dance, i.e. point work, that if your feet and your ankles and your bone structure is not built for it, you will just simply kind of destroy yourself for regular life and for a life free of pain that was unnecessary to accrue. So I do want to make it clear that I am aware of and understand what that perspective is and I'm not being innocent or naive about it but I feel that maybe that's also something that parents could caution themselves about recognizing that it's not something to feel bad about or discouraged by if your wonderfully loved beloved daughter grows to be you know five foot eleven at twelve I mean that's glorious and you know, it it will be difficult to find a niche in the ballet world because there aren't a lot of six foot four male dancers that can fulfill the partnering requirement. Doesn't mean the door has to be closed and it doesn't mean that that child should be made to feel bad or that you should suddenly start bemoaning your gene pool. And I feel like that's just a little, I guess, side comment I want to throw out there because I know that that is something I have heard. And I feel at this comment, uh, sorry, at this juncture as well, I would like to comment on my life as a professional dancer held absolutely no recognition of my previous life in competition. So although there's a world built around uh, big ballet competitions now, such as the Youth American Grand Prix and other such venues in which there are big ballet school directors and ballet company directors in the audience, basically, um, what's that called? Well, they're, they're scouting. They're looking around for the next greatest treasure, and they're looking for a very specific look and a very specific uh, dancer to uh, provide that opportunity for. I feel as though if you're going to enter those competitions to be aware of that in the front that if you physically do not fulfill those requirements, you're doing this as an amazing experience to be on stage. You're also doing it as an experience to kind of be on stage in a, in an, I guess, in a milieu that will not necessarily make you feel celebrated physically. And that's something to be aware of as a, as an educator, as a parent, and as the dancer. That that if you're going to place yourself in those arenas, you need to understand that those arenas are built around providing opportunity for a very specific type. And that as much as I, I really do have a lot of concern about this new emphasis on the competition world and the constant 
opportunities there are to compete against other dancers as opposed to band together. I also have to say that the one thing that I think is valuable about it is the opportunity to perform and to perform under a certain amount of duress because I think that that skill I can speak personally, I never really acquired and had right up until the last performance I did just a few years ago, I, paralyzing stage fright. And it's something to really have to work around and to be able to overcome that at a younger age or maybe to just never have to deal with it because you're so exposed to what it feels like to be on this stage far away from your audience looking out at them excuse me, and sharing yourself in such a vulnerable manner, well, that's wonderful because that will hold you in good stead for the future if that should be the direction you want to go. Or even if you just want to go into a direction in which you can comfortably get up in public speak or comfortably get up and lead a room. Uh, those are those are valuable skills. But I do, I do feel that essentially the greatest role that our training homes, our studios can play in our life as a place where we can grow, we can connect, we can feel a sense of family and cohesion with like-minded, you know, other humans and other peers that are doing something that's really quite esoteric and, and not widely, not widely supported such as sports, and that we need to feel safe in an educated way, that it's not just all about um, overemphasis on, you know, us against them, but that it's, you know, we all have this bond and we all perform in, in many group venues. So we have to pull it all together and rehearse all together and, and get on stage and hold it all together at, you know, under, ooh, I'll call them slightly stressful circumstances. And when we succeed, it's such a wonderful uh, group congratulations and such a wonderful feeling of everyone doing their part and pulling together. And that that is very special. It's also very special to feel like you don't need to be one of those incredibly driven, competition-oriented, um, dance is my life and I am going off after high school to be a dancer you don't need to be that person to feel like you belong. You should be able to feel like you belong because you dance, not because you dance in a certain fashion, or you dance in a certain way, or you dance with a certain direction. And I guess that's the main message of this particular podcast, was that you know dancing is an amazing form of expression that we can all share in any ways, and sometimes it's in our own living room to our favorite song, or no song at all. Sometimes it's in the street, sometimes it's in a club, sometimes it's in, in our loved one's arms, sometimes it's in a, in a professional training institution, and I, none of them are better than the other, in my personal opinion. And I really just encourage all of you to find a way to to discover that dancer within yourself and to nurture and nourish her or him in the best way possible. And I, I, I'm forever grateful to be involved in both, well, in all the many aspects I've been able to be involved in the dance world and now 
most currently in this educational aspect and as a mom of a young person who loves to dance. And on that note, I'll leave you and say thank you for listening and keep dancing. And I hope to hear you or not hear you so much. I guess I'll be doing the speaking. You'll be doing the hearing. (laughs) I hope that you'll join me again in Sarah's space in the future. Thank you.